We are kicking off our program year with a series on the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we spent some time talking about prayer broadly, and today we start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, as Julie Andrews would say. So will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power, Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1914, not long after the sinking of the Titanic, Congress convened a hearing to determine what had happened in another nautical tragedy. In January of that year, in the thick fog off the Virginia coast, the steamship Monroe was rammed by the merchant vessel Nantucket and eventually sank. Forty-one sailors lost their lives in the frigid waters of the Atlantic that day. And while it was Osmond Berry, the captain of the Nantucket, who was arraigned on the charges, during the court trial, Captain Edward Johnson was grilled on the stands for some five hours. And during the cross-examination, it was learned that Captain Johnson, who navigated the Monroe with a steering compass, had a compass that deviated by as much as two degrees off-center. He said that the instrument was sufficient or sufficiently true to run the ship and that it was custom of masters in the coastwide trade to use such a compass. But his steering compass had never been adjusted in the entire time he had been captain of the Monroe. And the faulty compass that seemed adequate for navigation clearly proved otherwise. That realization in the course of the trial explains the heart-rending picture that was published by the Times some years later when the two captains met, clasped hands, and sobbed into each other's shoulders. These two burly seamen crying it together is a moving reminder of the tragic consequences of misorientation. Two degrees made all the difference. In order to know where you're going, in order to know the way, you have to calibrate your instruments so that you can keep on the right path towards your destination. And these skilled sailors who were doing everything else right had missed a crucial first step, setting their compass to true north. So as we prepare for another year to journey together, it's appropriate that we pause and ask a similar question of ourselves. Have you calibrated the compass of your heart to align with the compass of God? You see, it matters how we set forth, how we journey together, how we begin another year together and a compass, this tool of orientation, seems to be just what Jesus is offering us 
in the first line of the Lord's Prayer. The disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And without missing a beat, Jesus says, pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. This opening line in the Lord's Prayer sets our compass to true north toward a relationship with God. It offers a kind of magnetic pull that draws our heart in the direction of God's heart through the words that we will pray after. Before we do anything else, Jesus is saying, it matters that we know the God in whom we are in prayerful conversation. Now, it's important for us to stop and acknowledge that there are an abundance of ways to name God when we pray. God is, in fact, bigger than our wildest imaginations. The Bible speaks of God in an abundance of ways, and our confessions and our prayers and the statements of faith that our elders shared this past weekend reflect this abundance of ways to describe the God in whom we seek. Even Jesus speaks of God in a wide variety of ways. And so anytime we pray, we're striving with all of our limited language to name the one in whom we are calibrating our compass, the one in whom we tune our hearts. And our language always falls just a little bit short. If you look back, if you open your hymnals again and look back to hymn 11, the one that we sang to open worship today, by my count, there are 39 different names for the triune God in those three verses of our opening hymn, and it is by no means exhaustive. Source and sovereign, rock and cloud, shepherd, savior, servant, lamb, comfort, counselor, presence, love, way who leads us to I am. And that refrain that we sang names this tension that we wrestle with when we pray. May the church at prayer recall that no single holy name, but the truth behind them all is the God whom we proclaim. If you are listening carefully, if you're flipping back through your hymnal, you probably noticed that Father wasn't included in that musical lineup this morning. For some of you, that's a relief, because Father language carries all kinds of complexities in our culture and in our own lives and families, and certainly to assign God gender is to limit, in some way, our limitless God. For others of you, though, Those that I have prayed with over the last three years, praying our Father or Father God as a way to begin your prayer is a central way that you address God. It's familiar. It's comfortable. And I will tell you that scholars have wrestled with this language for years, and the church's liturgy has offered us a beautiful and rich array of words that we can use to pray. In fact, the Anglican Prayer Book of New Zealand broadened the very opening of the Lord's Prayer itself and uses this extensive language. Begins the Lord's Prayer, eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, 
source of all that is and that shall be father and mother of all, loving God in whom is heaven. There's something right and expansive about that. But Jesus instructs the disciples, pray then in this way, our Father. So maybe it's worthy of asking the question, why did Jesus choose those words to open the prayer? Why does Jesus speak to and about God as Father? I believe that Jesus begins with our even before Father, with our, as a reminder that this relationship is wide open for Jesus and his disciples, for you and for me. And that Jesus says, our Father, less to make a statement about God's gender and more as a reminder that the one whom we are tuning our compass toward is not an impersonal thing, but a relational being, one that we can know intimately, one who desires relationship with us and with all of creation. It seems to me that above all the ways that we can describe God in words, Jesus is primarily concerned about the relationship that he has with God. And that word father in Hebrew or Aramaic, sometimes translated Abba, is a term that's used to speak intimately with God. It's as if Jesus is calling uh, God dad or daddy to speak to God as we would a member of our immediate family, to be drawn into a kind of relationship of unconditional love. When Jesus says in John's gospel this morning, in my father's house there are many rooms, he's inviting us into God's own home, a sign of deep friendship, of genuine welcome, of loving relationship. So for Jesus to begin the Lord's Prayer, our Father, is a way to say that above all the other ways that we can and should speak to and name God, The way we relate to God is what matters most. Jesus addresses our divine parent with intimacy, honesty, and love. We said last week that prayer is nothing more than being on terms of friendship with God. So we begin our prayer, our conversation with the one who is above all names, by naming that it's our relationship with God that matters most. It's the way we calibrate the compass of our hearts toward the heart of God. But what Jesus offers in John's gospel this morning is not just a way to begin our prayer or a way to name God, but a kind of map that we can use to follow. At Morningside, we like to say we're on a journey together. And to journey toward the heart of God is for us to be in communion with Jesus in full life-giving relationship with God. And if that's our destination, then all of our worship and our study, our care and our prayer, our commitment to justice and our service to others is about the way we move in this world toward God's heart. What Jesus is offering us this morning in John's gospel is a compass to chart our course. 
He's trying to help Philip and all of us see that to draw near to God is possible because Jesus came to be with us. To know Christ is to know God. To draw near to Christ is to draw near to God. To use that compass to follow Christ is to follow God in this world. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's inviting us into relationship with himself as a way to be in relationship with God. Now there is always still the risk that our compass will get miscalibrated. I've seen that in this particular passage in in John's gospel, used not as an invitation to deeper relationship, but as a kind of litmus test for salvation. We get stuck on that one line, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we shift the focus of Jesus' words two degrees from an invitation to judgment. And as you heard this morning, two degrees makes all the difference. When this passage becomes about who's in and who's out, a question of exclusivism our compass is misaligned. Because I don't believe that Jesus' goal with these words was to address a question of pluralism. Instead, Jesus was offering a word of comfort and of hope to disciples who just one chapter prior had heard Jesus foretell his own death, and they were worried about losing their relationship with him. You heard how he began this chapter do not let your hearts be troubled. If our compass is miscalibrated, this text can be used and can become about judgment. But Jesus is saying, focus on your relationship with me. Watch me, follow me, and you will always, now and forever, know the way. His words to his disciples, to you and to me, are not a word of judgment, but an invitation to tend to our prayer life and our relationship with Christ so that we can experience life with God. Whether we call that heaven or simply being where God is, a calibrated compass shows us the way. Reverend Sam Wells, the vicar of St. Martin in the Fields in England and a friend of mine, writes that there is no heaven that is not utter relationship with God and restored relationship with others. And, he says, we only experience that utter relationship with God in Jesus if we let go of any other desire than the desire for that relationship itself. So we begin the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, as a way of setting our compass toward God, of following Jesus' example so that we can know the way and experience abundant life. In just a few moments, we're going to ordain right on these steps a new class of elders and deacons. The session had the chance to hear their faith stories on Friday night, and I've got to tell you, Each of these individuals is a person of deep faith. And there are times that the way has been very clear for them, 
in times when it has been a circuitous path, full of danger and heartache and question. Many of them can tell you the stories of the times when their compasses were misaligned and also the joy that they have experienced when their compass points toward God. But by, Christ, by grace, Christ has led them and us to today. And they each responded to the call to serve as an officer in the church to lead and guide this ship, the one that we call Morningside Presbyterian. And today we join in the, with the Holy Spirit in blessing their leadership. But of all the things that they're about to respond to in their ordination questions, of all the meetings that they will chair and the events that they will plan, of all the meal trains they will prepare and the flowers they will deliver, the most important task for each of these officers as they begin is to calibrate their compass toward the heart of God and build their relationship with God through Christ. Prayer, the building of that relationship, is not just their job. It's all of our jobs. And all of us are invited to set our compass together because we are embarking on this series on the Lord's Prayer just as these officers embark on their time of service in leadership to make sure that all of us together are tending to our relationship with God. As officers, it may be easy at times to let everything from its tradition to we have to do the business of the church, to our own personal priorities or self-interests, all of those things can pull us off course. And all of us in our lives, it's easy to let those competing commitments of our days distract us from the way Christ is leading us. But Jesus invites us to hold one another accountable, to commit to pray together for them, for each other, for our world, because by doing so, we commit to our relationship with God. So I invite you to set your compass this morning and to pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Will you pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.